But I mean, you go to the mainstream press and you just, uh, they won't give you the time of day. I mean, they say, okay, conspiracy theories, that's a bunch of uh, wild ideas with no evidence. No, the official myth is the wild ideas with no evidence. We have tons of evidence, but it has been so ingrained, this is off limits for any kind of respectable uh, discussion that you can't put in the door. I continue my series on 9-11. Scientists, scholars, truth-tellers, my friends and country folk, we need to get this. Stop ridiculing those who are pointing out that the official narrative of 9-11 is a myth. We need to follow where the evidence leads us. Like my guest today, David Chandler, his website is 911speakout.org. The physics of 9-11. Next on Progressive Spirit. Pacifica Radio Network, PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and from the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Progressive Spirit. ProgressiveSpirit.net, I'm John Schuck. I presented to a, a, there was a physics conference right here in Portland, actually, a few years ago, and I present, I've had a poster session and a little talk I gave, and the vast majority of these people had no idea what was going on, and sort of wanted to stay clear of it, it was sort of, it was taboo to discuss this. But at my poster session, as people would come by, they would smirk or snicker or something. And I'd say, did you realize Building 7 came down at absolute free fall? And then I pointed them to my poster and they'd go over and look at it. And sometimes they would stand there for five or 10 minutes and they wander away and they come back with their friends. Because, uh, you know, it's the type of thing that somebody that has the background to recognize the implications of that statement. I mean, that statement by itself says it was a demolition. This is the fifth episode in my series on 9-11. These are interviews with those who are speaking out about the 9-11 false flag and cover-up. These are scientists and scholars who are showing us that the science supports what we see with our own eyes that the three World Trade Center towers collapsed due to controlled demolition. Today, I speak with David Chandler, the high school physics teacher who made NIST, that's the National Institute of Standards and Technology, revise their report on the destruction of World Trade Center Building 7, a 47-story building that collapsed in the late afternoon of September 11, 2001. David Chandler showed that the Building 7 fell at freefall that is the acceleration of gravity. David Chandler lives in Portland, and he visited me in the KBOO studios. Welcome, David. Thank you for having me. So how did this encounter with NIST happen? So they were claiming, and this was as of August before their final report, which came out in November, they were claiming... And, and this year is... This was 2008. Okay. And... They were claiming that it came down 40% slower than freefall, which is outrageously, uh, you can look at it and you can tell that it's essentially freefall. But by actually, I actually did the measurement using their data and it nailed it. It's right smack at freefall. So um, they had a technical briefing conference and I, I wanted to get in a question if I could. Uh, but when I applied to be able to submit a question, uh, you had to put down an institution, association, and all that. I wasn't a professor with a university or anything like that. I just taught at some high school. Uh, wow. I was teaching down in Central California at the time. I got away with very supportive administration, so I never got in trouble for all this. But I did the measurements using a, a tool that I used in my physics classes where you can actually take a video and put markers and then it can actually capture the positions and the timings and come up with velocities and accelerations and all kinds of stuff. 
this also I want to emphasize, I did not single-handedly do this. This was a team effort. There's a bunch of us who were trying to um, get NIST to acknowledge freefall. So my measurements were sort of behind it, but uh, I had an opportunity to ask my question. And so I have a video of that. And Sean Sunder, who was the uh, director of this whole program, um, stumbled all over the place in trying to answer it. But then he's sort of brushed it off. And then later in that same interview, uh, Stephen Jones came up with, it's, it was seemingly a much more trivial question. It was and Stephen like, Jones, again, for folks from BYU professor who yes. really helped getting a lot of he this was, started. He was one of the premier science people who got in on this, who convinced me there's a role for science in this. And that's what helped enable, helped encourage me to put in my two cents worth, too. All right. But so Stephen Jones came in. And he just picked, a, there was a word they used. They said that assuming the building came down at constant speed. And he said, don't you mean constant acceleration? It's clearly accelerating. And uh, they stumbled all over that question too, to the point where Sean Sunder pointed to somebody else and said, can somebody clarify this? And they said, I think we'll have to change this in the final report. So in my understanding, it was that incident where over this, do you use speed or acceleration? And over that little triviality, it's sort of like almost a, a typo. It was a concept, what I call a conceptual typo where you use the wrong word, but they actually committed on video to change the report. And when they changed the report, they didn't just change the word. They could have literally swapped out acceleration in the place of speed and let it be done. No, they went through and did an entire new analysis, which acknowledged freefall. Now they turned right around and denied the implications of freefall. So they're still lying. But they actually uh, came out with a graph and they have this little red line that goes through the data and it has the equation of the line and it has the slope and it literally is the acceleration of gravity. What they're saying is that there is nothing under this they have to be saying that. Well, they have to be, but they didn't. They tried to say all of this is consistent with our analysis, which is total bunk. Mm -hmm. There's no way. It's, it's clearly, uh, I mean, it, once you say that it came down in free fall, that's why they were saying it's 40% slower than free fall earlier. They were trying to deny free fall because they knew, in fact, in the conference where Shamsunder was answering me, uh, he was saying, Oh, free fall is when there's no resistance, uh, when there's no structure below the, the free falling object. And in this case, there clearly was resistance and there was many connections that had to be broken and they couldn't have all happened simultaneously. So he was making the case that it could not have been free fall. The problem is the evidence shows it actually was free fall. And so it couldn't be free fall if it's a natural collapse. Right. But it was free fall as observation shows, therefore the assumptions are bad. But they deny that and it's, it's what they have now in the final report. If you look in the final report, they did not substitute the new explanation for the old. The old explanation is still there in full where they're claiming 40% slower than free fall and it's overlaid with this new analysis. So it's a total hodgepodge. It makes no sense whatsoever. If you read the, you can go online and find the final report and it's gibberish. And, you know, I could spell out the gibberish in great detail, but anybody who's listening who has any kind of technical understanding of basic physics could read through that and try to make sense of it. I challenge you to make sense of that. It doesn't hold together. But it's enough to have a whole big document of complex stuff that, well, I guess, and the name NIST that people yeah. trust them, which yeah. is, of course, the whole yeah. thing behind and, the official story. And who's going to question it now? And they just basically declared everything closed, and uh, they won't answer questions. And it's like, um, you know, it's a, it's a power play. It's not a rational argument. It's, uh, it's a con job in terms of the name NIST carries some clout and so forth. But it's, 
it's not a uh, coherent uh, statement of any kind. Just recently, Professor uh, Leroy Hulsey of the mm-hmm. University of Alaska Fairbanks has done also a lot of computer uh, recreation, yeah. uh, had the original plans of Building 7. Can you talk a little bit about sure. uh, his work? Yeah. Um, there's a number of us who have been working on the issue of Building 7. And I want to mention one name is Tony Zambodi. He's an engineer back in, um, I think he's in New Jersey. But um, he has been on top of this for a long time looking at, I was looking at the, the gross mov- movement of the building, the collapse and so forth. He was looking at the actual structure and the NIST explanation for how the collapse got initiated, their claim on how it got initiated. And their, their claim is that there's a certain column, column 79, and that there's a girder that comes into that column, which is like a horizontal member that comes from the outer wall to that column and so forth. And this girder is sitting on a seat. It's all bolted in and everything, but it's on that seat. And then there's these other beams that are coming into that girder, and they're claiming somehow that those beams expanded due to thermal expansion, pushing the girder off its seat, and therefore the column was unsupported. They just sort of wave their hands and say this propagated down several floors. So there's a long stretch of the column that was unsupported, and therefore um, it buckled. And once that column buckled, some sort of a chain reaction occurred and the whole thing came down. They basically are claiming that if they can show how one column failed, that they have somehow, um, that's all they need to do to show the whole building collapsed the way it did. What a number of people, uh, there's a guy named David Cole and there's Tony Zambodi and these guys, what they were doing is they're turning up evidence that NIST, in their modeling of this situation, falsified the data. Like there were actually shear studs that uh, connected the, the beams and the girders to, I guess the girders, to the floor. So it was composite with the concrete floor. And uh, there's um, the, the size they gave for the, the seat of that girder was uh, undersized compared to what it really was. So it was actually a bigger seat than they claimed. And one thing after another. And they've made all sorts of um, very dubious assumptions. Like, here's this beam that's going to expand. If you were to take a beam and you heat it up so it expands, you would expect that it would push out symmetrically in both directions, not NIST. They assumed the outer wall which stayed rigid and all of the expansion uh, took place in one direction to push this girder off. Well, it doesn't work. The other thing is, as you heat the beam, not only is it going to expand due to thermal expansion, it's going to sag. And so that cancels out some of this. And so there's a maximum distance. If you take the expansion and the sagging and put them together, there is a maximum expansion that's even possible. And that's not enough to push the girder off. And then there's braces that were left out. And there was a, uh, there was a stiffener at the end of the girder that would make the girder stronger by a factor of 10 at that connection than they assumed. So there's one thing after another that they falsified simply to get so that their model would fail. And if they, can get, if they could demonstrate failure in their model, they could say, aha, we can publish this and walk away from it. By the way, do you know when that final report came out? Uh, no, actually. It when came out in November after the election. So it, it was in the lame duck period after uh, Obama was elected just before uh, Bush went out of office. So they wanted to close the books on this before the start of a new administration. So it was a, it was a rush job at the end to try to put all this stuff together. And the stuff that they put in there makes no sense. Now, what Lero Halsey did, actually the architects and engineers from 9-11 Truth raised the money and contracted with him to do a new modeling of the building uh, comparable to the concept of what NIST should have done. And what Leroy Hulsey did, he and a couple of grad students, actually it's he and a grad student and a postdoc, the three of them, they actually did two modelings. They did it on two separate kinds of software and uh, so they could check back and forth and get it right. They found endless uh, inconsistencies in the way NIST model uh, 
was put together. Like NIST didn't even model the entire floors. They just modeled the end where they were claiming something was happening. And the side effect is it makes the rest of the building, since you're not modeling it, it makes it all seem rigid. Well, it's not rigid. Everything is going to flex and give and so forth. So it's not going to behave the way NIST model claims it did. They basically are showing how flaky NIST model really was. And uh, they have now, I believe, completed the modeling. They've, they have their final report that there is no way with their modeling you can put fire anywhere you want in whatever intensity you want to claim. It's not going to bring the building down. So fire could not bring the building down. What they're continuing to do, and I haven't seen the final final report yet, but they're trying to look at scenarios on how the actual collapse could have taken place and what would have been necessary to actually get free fall. And so how do you get free fall? That's what was observed. And if the modeling can't produce free fall, then you've got a problem. So basically what the modeling is, for those who don't understand computer modeling, this is basically just doing the math uh, where you systematically are doing the math on every single connection in the building and uh, seeing how it all systematically works together. And they're, uh, they're basically coming up with uh, the conclusion this building could not possibly have come down due to fire as NIST claimed. And they, uh, I'm speaking with David Chandler. He is a uh, member of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, also the coordinator for scientists for 9-11 Truth. We're talking about right now uh, Building 7 that came down, but that many people don't even know yet today that there was a third mm -hmm. tower that came down after all of this yeah. uh, uh, late in the afternoon of uh of September 11th, 2001, and David Chandler has done uh, research on it um, in terms of calculating that it did come in free fall acceleration for two and two and a half seconds, and and the uh, making the NIST have to make at least that change in their report, which, as you've said, is is still a bunch of gibberish. It's total gibberish. This report was a political document. Yeah, NIST is a very well-respected scientific and engineering organization. It used to be called the National Bureau of Standards. It had, was held in very high regard. But as with other agencies, this is actually an agency. It's under the Commerce Department. And it was a Bush level. I mean, the top was being, uh, it was politically controlled. And so the people at the top of this investigation were determining the outcome ahead of time like so many other science, you know, the whole term Bush science uh, was commonplace during that era, that uh, science was being made to conform to uh, pre-existing, you know, determinations, you know. Now it's at to a point where all are culpable in some way or another. It yep. isn't just Bush's, you know, yep. NIST. It's now America's NIST. Well, yes, this entire uh, official myth of 9-11. I call it official myth, official story, whatever you want to call it. Uh -huh. it, is, it is blatantly fabricated. It is uh, basically designed to pin the blame on, on the hijackers. And so we were attacked on the outside. Uh, Muslims, Arabs, all these people are being discriminated against because of this. It basically was created to give us a, a rationale to go to war. And so it's, the, it's a linchpin of our whole foreign policy. So it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense. It really, really doesn't make sense. It is so, but the other thing that's happening is people like me who actually, you know, I don't have any strings attached from any government contracts or anything like that. I mean, okay, so I was a high school physics teacher. I was a little more than that. I taught physics in college and high school, and I have a pretty decent background in this stuff. Uh, but Pete, there's a lot of people out there who know a lot more than I do. But I find that even talking, I, I presented to a, a, there was a physics conference right here in Portland, actually, a few years ago. And I present, I've had a poster session and a little talk I gave. And the vast majority of these people had no idea what was going on and sort of wanted to stay clear of it. It was sort of, it was taboo to discuss this. But at my poster session, as people would come by, they would smirk or snicker or something. And I'd say, did you realize Building 7 came down at absolute free fall? 
And then I pointed them to my poster and they'd go over and look at it. And sometimes they would stand there for five or 10 minutes and they wander away and they come back with their friends. Because, uh, you know, it's the type of thing that somebody that has the background to recognize the implications of that statement. I mean, that statement by itself says it was a demolition. Right. There's no way you can have a building coming down through itself unless it's been demolished by external uh, things. I mean, usually explosives. There are other ways to demolish a building. But basically, you'd get a demolition of one sort or another is the only way you're going to get that kind of free fall. And we've all seen it. I, even Dan Rather admitted it, yeah. oddly enough, at the, well, at the very day of. He said, it looks right. like controlled demolition to me. It looks yeah. exactly like it. And basically, by doing the science, what we're saying is you're not crazy. Right. What you're seeing is a correct perception. It really had to have been what you're actually seeing that it looks like it is, which is a demolition. I find it's so hard. I mean, Kebu here, this is one of the few places I can... Uh, talk about this and actually get an audience. Uh, there's There are a lot of places where I'm not allowed to. I mean, there are people who I wouldn't believe it, but they won't let me get half a sentence out about this topic before they literally shut me down. Uh, people who should have, uh, who should be open-minded and who should be uh, technically competent to listen to what I have to say. And if they disagree, they could say why. But no, they won't let me even get half a sentence out because they can't be bothered. I've been told to my face, you know, conspiracy thinking is a, is a mental condition. You know, it's like, okay, I can see how you can get off the rails on conspiracy thinking. I, I get it. But what I'm talking about is not that kind of conspiracy thinking. This is looking at concrete evidence of what really happened and being willing to go where the evidence leads. I'm speaking with David Chandler, who is the coordinator for scientists for 9-11 Truth. Can you go back a little bit in time when you first uh, discovered from yourself that there was something wrong with the official story? Okay. In the early years, I basically, I wondered what happened to the buildings. And I was very interested when there was, there was a NOVA program that came out on how the buildings collapsed and all that. And so... I eagerly was awaiting for that to be shown, and I took it all in, and I just said, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I didn't really think that critically about it, but it was, uh, you know, I was curious because it didn't seem like the building should have collapsed. But I really didn't dig in on that. And it was actually sometime later, uh, my sister, who's not a scientist, I mean, she's a literature professor, and she's on the faculty at Berkeley now and so forth, she went to a conference and brought some videos and literature and stuff and said, you need to look into this. And so she literally urged me to, and I sat down and I looked at some of this. And the thing that caught my attention more than anything else there, there was a picture of the North Tower and there's a projectile coming out of the North Tower with a big whole plume of debris behind it. And it went way out horizontally and landed across the street. It looked like it hit another building. I think it actually went behind the building. But uh, I realized, hey, that trajectory, I could figure out how fast that's going. And I literally took a ruler and stopped the video and took measurements on the television screen and came up with a ballpark estimate. That stuff was being ejected at about 60 miles an hour, which, and from high in the building. So at the point where that was ejected horizontally at about 60 miles an hour, I think it turned out to be about 55 miles an hour. I did a measurement later. But the, the material that was moving downward at that point in the building was not moving that fast. This was going horizontally faster than the building was coming down. And that hooked me. And I started digging in. Uh, Jim Hoffman has a website, 9-11. If you look up 9-11 Research, and there's a WTC in the name there somewhere. I don't know exactly how you phrase the URL. But he has a very encyclopedic site which covered a lot of the scientific material. And I heard um, a thing by, uh, some talk by Stephen Jones. So he was a physicist who was early in on um, plowing through a lot of this stuff. And so I started realizing that there is a body of uh, material out there that some scientists were able to get their teeth into. And I realized, hey, I can do that. And I, I did that measurement. I did it more precisely using a, a tool I had that 
can uh, analyze videos. And uh, I started measuring, I started measuring everything that could be, everything that was moving. And that's where I discovered that Building 7 came down at freefall. I'm speaking with David Chandler. His website is www.911speakout.org. You're listening to Progressive Spirit. More to come. Stay with us. David Chandler is my guest on Progressive Spirit. His website is 911speakout.org. The thing about the Building 7, the way it came down, it came down with a level roof line, mm-hmm. straight down. Now, you realize the building would have occupied the area of a football field. It's about 100 meters side. It's, it is 100 meters side to side, and I actually measured out the other dimension. It would literally just fit within a foot or two, fit exactly on a football field. That's how That's big a building yeah. this is. And for it to come down with a level roof line, it means all of the columns across the entire width of that building had to be made to fail within a fraction of a second. Because otherwise you get tipping and tumbling and all kinds of stuff going on. But it came straight down, which means it was a coordinated taking out of all of the support across the whole width simultaneously. So yeah, building seven is the clearest case of a classic demolition. The North Tower and the South Tower, the explosions sort of like, it was like a zipper coming down the building. It had to be done differently because they're so tall that if you tried to blow them up at the bottom, you're gonna get these things tipping all over the place. And so they literally had it, a, a series of explosions taking it apart floor by floor as you come down. It wasn't every floor, but it was pretty close. It was. It was just a a downward chain of events timed. I mean, it appears to be timed so that the the material that's falling on the sides pretty much creates a a veil that covers what's going on underneath. But you can see under that curtain of falling debris and actually see all of these explosive ejections. The little squibs, they call them. Well, yeah, yeah, there's that, but there's a lot more. You can actually see you can just see floor by floor, bang, you know, just pushing all this material out. One of the earliest videos I did was looking at a corner shot of the North Tower, and I just put it in an infinite loop and commented away. And it's if you just want to convince yourself, just look at that video, and that gives you plenty of raw material. Okay, I want to give my website, my personal yep. website on this, and there's several, I, myself, and there's another, there's an engineer from Florida, and uh, Frank Leggy from Australia, but he's uh, deceased uh, from the last year or so. And, but we have all of our work on 911speakout.org. Going back and doing all these other overlays of measurements and so forth, it's a matter of confirming that your direct perceptions are not misleading you. And so it's important to do the other, but if you start by just what do you actually see, you're gonna see explosions. It's very clear if you look at it. And it's not coming down, as you said, though, at free fall acceleration. No. Explain that. Okay, the top of the building, the top section of the North Tower, uh, there's a couple of layers of detail here, but I'll just take, if you take the simple version of this, that it's a block at, at the top about 12 floors, coming down, supposedly crushing the columns underneath. It's not pancaking of floors. That that doesn't work because if you pancake the floors, there's an inner structure that would still be standing. In order for the tower to come down, you have to crush the columns. You have to cause them to buckle repeatedly all the way down. And so this 12 floors at the top is not going to crush all of this undamaged, uh, full-strength material below it. What I measured for the roof line of the top section is it came down at two-thirds of free fall, but um, the fact is it's coming down at a uniform downward acceleration, and that's the key right there. So if you okay. have a block that's accelerating in a certain direction, 
that's only going to happen if the net force is in that direction. You have two forces acting. You have gravity downward, you have an upward resistance. And in order for the net force to be downward, gravity is stronger than the resistance, which means the resistance was only supporting like one-third of the weight of the, of the structure above it. This structure was designed to support uh, three to five times the weight of what's above it. So literally, the implication of this thing coming down at the acceleration that it did, it's accelerating downward uniformly the entire time you can see the roof line. For that to happen, you had to eliminate 90%, at least 90% of the structural support. So that's the numbers. I have a paper actually okay. about that. You can get the details if you want, but that's the implication. So even though it's not free fall, you can, it's a clear indication that the support is being removed. That's why it's accelerating. It's falling into the void of what's been cleared out ahead of it. And what's being thrown out in this these huge clouds is really the pulverized, pulverized building itself, isn't yes, it? Yes. So you have you have big wall sections. They have like three columns that are three stories high, uh, with um, um, spandrels going across them that are coming out in sections. These things are being thrown around like they're toothpicks. These things are you know multiple tons, depending on how high in the building it. You know, the, the, there are different weights at different heights, but it's roughly, say, four tons per one of those units, and those are just flying. Okay. Um, the other thing is you can actually see in this, I did an analysis of some of the debris coming out of the South Tower. You can see explosions happening in the debris as it's already falling. So here's a projectile coming out of the South Tower. And then it fragments. You can see a flash, and it fragments into two pieces. And then each of those pieces fragments into two pieces. So you basically have it subdividing twice before your very eyes as it's in freefall. If you have a chunk of stuff in freefall, it's not able to do any work on anything. It's going to just move. There's no forces acting. It's just unsupported. What's to cause this thing to fragment? So you're actually seeing these explosions. And you're seeing trails of smoke. And I originally thought, well, how do you know it's not just a bunch of dust and stuff entrained in the wake of all this moving debris? But there's a piece that actually moves sideways, and then there's some kind of interaction, and it now turns at right angles and is moving downward. And the whole smoke trail turns at right angles and follows it. So you can clearly see this is smoke that's being emitted off of the surface of these steel uh, members. Uh, so what we're, it's white smoke, and one of the things that we know about uh, thermite, and this is one of the things that were found in the dust, so we know there was uh, thermite <clears throat> being used in, these, uh, in this demolition, but one of the characteristics of thermite is it's aluminum and iron oxide, and you get the rearrangement, so you end up with aluminum oxide, which is white smoke and then molten iron. The molten iron comes off as little microspheres, little droplets of iron that are sprayed out, and the, the dust is loaded with this stuff. Much, much higher concentration than you'd find in any background sample of the dust. Uh, so it's just billions of these iron spheres and then voluminous white smoke trailing off of these steel. Here's steel members moving out through space, trailing white smoke. So yes, it is smoke. Yeah. What's, what is a steel beam doing generating right. white smoke? So that's some, of the, that's some of what we're seeing. And I'm speaking with David Chandler, a uh, member of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, also the coordinator for scientists uh, for 9-11 Truth. Okay, so uh, you also did some work on the Pentagon. So what has happened uh, in regards to the plane or no plane or what okay. all? Okay. The primary thing that I think needs to be said about the Pentagon is uh, it is a, it's a rat's nest of um, theories and things that because we don't have the kind of access to the site that we did at the World Trade Center. So we don't have, for instance, things comparable to we examine the dust at the World Trade Center. And we had all of these independent videos and so forth. 
at the Pentagon, it was wham, you have a, uh, appears to be an, an airplane collision, but then there's so much mystery. The, they went and scooped up all the video footage and the Pentagon, you know, the military has control of the whole scene. So we don't have the kind of access that we have at the World Trade Center. We have absolutely all the information we need to show that 9-11 was a staged operation. All of that can be gotten from the World Trade Center data. The Pentagon has, from the very earliest, uh, been uh, just a seat of tremendous controversy. And so all of these theories that it was something other than a plane hitting, that it was explosions in the building, or that it was a the plane came, but it flew over, and there was a uh, there was all sorts of things, or that it was a missile, or there was a small plane. There's all of these different kinds of things. Well, the only reason there's a bunch of us at Scientists for 9/11 Truth uh, and, and some others that have been working on this to try to nail down what does the evidence really show, and the evidence really does. You know, I'm going to basically make enemies anytime I make any statement about the Pentagon. But let me just say, the evidence really does show it was a large plane impact. Uh, a lot of the early um, discussion of this focused attention on a 16-foot hole and how could you have a big plane go in that 16-foot hole. Um, turns out that 16-foot hole is on the second floor. And if you look at the first story, which was being obscured by fire hoses and the spray and smoke and all that, you can't even see the, the ground floor in those early pictures that were released. There's plenty. There's like 90 feet of unobstructed. All the columns are taken out and over 100 feet. If there's some columns at the end where the wingtips hit, and you can see where the wingtips hit, and you can see where it crushed in inward on columns uh, at those places. You can actually see where the tail uh, impacted. Uh, so there are marks on the surface of the Pentagon for the parts that didn't make it to the inside. People ask, well, what about all the debris? How come there weren't any big plane parts laying around? Well, it was, it was flying at about 550 miles an hour, which is way faster than it's designed to fly. But, uh, and there's all kinds of controversy over these kinds of issues. But the evidence shows it really was coming in at that kind of a high speed. And when you have an impact... Uh, at high speed, there's a tremendous amount of kinetic energy. It's able to literally fragment the pieces. So the parts of the plane that did not penetrate the building just got reduced to very small shrapnel. And so that's some of the... There's, there's interesting... You know, if you look at the plane flying through the... There's a number of light poles that were knocked down. And um, if you basically say how big a plane would it have to be to knock down the light poles that were hit, you can basically estimate the wingspan from that. And it, uh, it's definitely in the ballpark of uh, the wingspan of a 757, which is what that flight would have been, AA-77. Flight 77, okay. So that, it was the right size plane to be that. So the idea that it was a small plane or a missile, you, couldn't, you can't explain why the light poles were knocked down. One of the things that really was persuasive to me early on, I was doing a lot of this work with Frank Leggy in Australia, who had been previously doing more work on this, and we collaborated on a couple of papers. And that's, he's my mentor on this subject. But one of the things is there were multiple radar installations that were tracking the plane. And it, the, it tracked the plane till it came close to where the Sheraton Hotel was. It was aiming right at the Pentagon. And... Then the flight data recorder, which was recovered, and there's all sorts of controversy. Was it genuine or not? I think there's lots of internal evidence that it was uh, authentic, but uh, there's people who quibble over that, so I'm not going to argue that one right here on, <laughs> in two minutes here. But the flight data recorder matches uh, with the radar, and it matches with the path of destruction outside the Pentagon. And then if you take where it entered the Pentagon and where it came out on the C-ring hole, and then you look at all the debris that was spilled out of the C-ring hole, all of that is in perfect alignment. So you basically have all of this uh, redundant evidence showing the path of the plane as it came through, plus you have over 100 eyewitnesses. 
on being rounded numbers on that. It was around 100, I believe. Who uh, did see the plane, saw the plane circle around and, they and just, come in. Yeah. What does that mean? For let's say, uh, so, so some people might say, well, uh, you, you're now just kind of buying the official story yeah. that the government's telling us. The official story is that we were attacked by uh, these Muslims, uh, and this does not imply that at all. Hey, there were planes at the World Trade Center. That doesn't negate what happened there, and, there was, and they used a plane at the Pentagon, and um, the real question, Kevin Ryan did a, a little article, um, actually a couple of years ago, I think, but like, what are the questions that really need to ask, be asked about the Pentagon? Yeah. And what hit the Pentagon is not one of them. I mean, why was a plane allowed to fly in over Washington and take this big old long lazy loop around, spiraling down and, and come right in and hit the Pentagon with no intercept? No. I mean, there were planes tracking this. Cheney was in his bunker and Norman Mineta testifies that this guy was coming to him, uh, feeding him information. The plane is 30 miles out, plane's 10 miles out, plane's five miles out, and Cheney uh, is basically, appears to be giving a stand-down order. Well, where does all of that go if there's no plane? So all of this is, I mean, it, it really looks like there was a plane, it was allowed to fly over Washington, it was not shot down, it was not... Um, intercepted in any way, and it was allowed to complete this impact and so forth. How did the plane actually do the final maneuver? It doesn't look like it was flown by a human being because it was such a difficult maneuver. It was, uh, to fly in as low as it did, as at highest speed as it did, and it came in, it literally came in, it touched the ground at one point outside the Pentagon, which is the left engine, took a nick out of a little concrete wall. You can see where the left engine hit. The right engine uh, took a chunk out of a generator trailer that was there. They were doing repairs and stuff. So those two things hit. Just prior to that, just before it came in and hit the light poles, it took a chunk out of a tree. And you can see the rounded uh, notch at the top of this tree where the right engine basically trimmed the tree. And when you see all that, there's a uh, the, you can see pictures of the plane flying across the lawn emitting all this smoke. What's that smoke from? Well, we have a, a good explanation for that. By the way, I want to say that's another thing I did recently, is the, the videos that were released that show the plane crossing the lawn. It's very hard to see a plane there. So what I did was, and uh, Ken Jenkins is another one, so he and I were collaborating on this. He's a filmmaker. Yeah, in, down in Oakland. But... Um, uh, he did one version, and I came up with another version. But it's on my website, 911speakout.org. If you go to the Pentagon tab, and there's a thing there about a blink comparator. Blink comparators, are some, I have a background in some astronomy. And when you're looking for things like variable stars or novas or things like that, you take two frames that, uh, that are from consecutive nights, and you basically have a thing that goes back and forth so your vision is... Boom, 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 boom. And you're going back and forth between these two images. And if you have a variable star, it's like boom, 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 just sort of blinking out there, making it very, very obvious. Well, if you do a blink comparator type of, of vision of the frame before the plane was in there and the frame that contains the plane, it's just like this thing is just flashing out and it becomes extremely, well, I won't say extremely visible. It's very subtle. But you can see it. You can see the tail. You can see the nose. You can see the whole uh, uh, profile of plane. There's a purple stripe that goes along the plane. Uh, the actual American Airlines flight has a red and a blue stripe. But this is such a tiny image on the edge of the frame that the red and the blue information are com combined into a purple stripe. So all of this is consistent with that plane. Uh, so I, there's a page there where you can go through and see the plane that hit the Pentagon. And, and I also want to point out, we're not trying to attack the Pentagon story in a way because we think that the official story is true. What we're trying to say is uh, don't go off on tangents that are not supported by evidence. Yeah. The other theories, none of the other theories can explain the, the, the whole preponderance of the evidence the real message is, 
focus your attention on the World Trade Center. The Pentagon is a rat's nest of, like some people have called it a honeypot, you know. Uh, you basically get people spinning off theories in the absence of evidence, and you get conflict, you get opinions, you get like little cult figures arising with followings and so forth. Uh, this doesn't do the movement any good. What we need to do is to focus on the solid evidence that we have at the World Trade Center, and we need to defuse a lot of this confrontation over the Pentagon. So that's my goal. And that's your goal. So let's, let's, and I'm speaking with David Chandler, a uh, member of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, also the coordinator for Scientists uh, for 9-11 Truth. Let's go to politics. Um, okay. What do we do with all of this? Uh, nobody seems to be... When I say nobody seems to be, it's it's hard to get an audience, as you had said earlier, mm -hmm. of people who just want to cut 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 it off, don't want to talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. What's the strategy? What's uh, how are architects and engineers doing? How are how how is the group doing? Nine Eleven Consensus Panel, mm -hmm. your work. Well, let me just speak for myself here. Is that and I'm so I on this I'm not speaking for either of those because the scientist group is focused on the science and the architects focused on their work, but. Uh, those of us within those organizations obviously can um, connect the dots, mm -hmm. okay? And there are dots to connect here. And so what we have found uh, that we can nail down and be very confident of is the buildings at World Trade, Center, World Trade Center were demolished. And in order to do the demolition, you had to have access to the buildings over a significant period of time. You had to have access to the kinds of demolition materials to be able to come in through security, and they were very, very secure buildings. You had to be able to get waved through security. Uh, what I envision is like for the Twin Towers, for instance, all it takes is a couple of guys rolling a bunch of working, you know, have uh, labels on the backs of their shirts, and they, they roll this uh, card in with all these pallets, put out a, some orange cones, and take over an elevator shaft. Nobody's gonna, they're, they're invisible. This goes on in the urban environment all the time. So you can have easy access to the elevator shafts, which give you access to all of the core columns of the, of the towers. Uh, you right. could have, there's other ways. They have people supposedly rigging uh, new computer lines, and they have people supposedly doing uh, fire, uh, you know, what do you call it, fireproofing on some of the floors and all that. And so there's all kinds of workers crawling over these buildings, and they could, uh, they could rig the whole thing. Uh, and people say, how could you get it in there? Well, it's not somebody carrying a stick of dynamite under their coat. It's, yeah. it's something that it's, it's hidden in plain sight. That's the kind of access. So you had to have uh, a concerted, organized, coordinated effort. And the, what happened at the World Trade Center had to be coordinated with uh, getting these hijackers as patsies. You had to have uh, coordinate with the military and with the civilian air, uh, uh, FAA and all that, to basically not accidentally shoot down these things in, in, you know, while they're carrying out this mission. And so they had all of these uh, war games going on to, as a distraction. Mm -hmm. So it's all these things that had to be coordinated and that points to massive uh, inside coordination by powerful individuals. Now, that's what the physical evidence leads to if you say, how could that be done? So, you know, to attribute this to some rogue Arabs somewhere else, it do that doesn't work. There's too much we know about the orchestration of this. The fact that uh, there was all of this supposed chatter about terrorist attacks and people uh, predicting when it was going to happen and everything else, it's sort of, I, I sort of see that as like one agency tripping over another. I mean, some of these agencies that were actually enabling this event uh, were doing their work and other people say, hey, that shouldn't happen, and they're making some noise. And so not everybody was involved in a conspiracy. They had key people doing things. Other people were finding out about it, but it was... Uh, it's all very compartmentalized, very, too. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. So it's very clear to me this is an operation. It was not just a, a terrorist attack. 
So what happens now? Um, I mean, oh, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth went to the uh, uh, architects, um, National Organization of Architects, the, yep. and, and, and they didn't have very much luck. They made a presentation yep. in getting the votes. And so these are all architects and engineers. What well, are they afraid of? Well, though, them, in my experience with these physics teachers and Everybody is experienced trying to talk to the press. I mean, KBU is rather unique here. But, I mean, you go to the mainstream press and you just, uh, they won't give you the time of day. And so uh, even though, I mean, they say, okay, conspiracy theories, that's a bunch of uh, wild ideas with no evidence. No, the official myth is the wild ideas with no evidence. We have tons of evidence, but it has been so ingrained this is off limits for any kind of respectable uh, discussion that you can't put in the door. Uh, so it's not just one agency or another. It's sort of a, uh, I mean, even among the listeners, I mean, the skeptic societies, I mean, you'd think, well, they would be open-minded. No, they're, they're lined up against us. Or alternative media, even. Even, yeah, hey. Democracy Now, yeah, for example. Yeah, Amy Goodman will not talk about this. Mm -hmm. I mean, she did talk about it a couple times, but it was, like, very limited, uh, and it was not giving a fair... I think David Ray Griffin was invited on, and unbeknownst to him, they had the opposite side debating him. Even he thought he was going in for just an interview. Right. No, it turned out to be... I mean, it was, sub, you know, subverted. So... Amy Goodman won't talk about it. Hey, Bill Moyers won't talk about it. I mean, they make fun of it. Uh, uh, Bill Maher. I mean, name all of the, uh, you know, Daily Show. What's his name? John Stewart. Yeah. All of these people make fun of conspiracy theory stuff uh, to the point where you can't, even in liberal uh, media, this doesn't get in. Yeah. So, yes, uh, we do have solid data uh, so and I want to say this yes there are lots of totally crazy conspiracy theories about 9-11 out there and some of them my conviction is that they're planted because the more they can strew the landscape with all the crazy stuff the more they can use a broad brush to paint the whole movement. Easy to dismiss, and that's why David was talking about, David Ray Griffin was talking about the importance of the, for example, the 9-11 consensus panel. Right. Or, or the scientists for 9-11 truth. Right. Look, let's just, here's the facts, here's the evidence, yeah. stick with that. Mm -hmm. David Chandler, I appreciate your work, and I uh, appreciate you spending time with me today. And the, uh, give me your website one more time. 9-11-speakout.org. Progressive Spirit is produced in the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon. I'm John Shuck. Be well.